right at this point in the service, as we continue in our worship, uh, I'm going to turn to the Psalms for prayer. Um, the Psalms are such a wonderful gift that God has given us. It's a hymn book that we can sing along to, that we can work through, and it is also one that can help us guide in our prayers. And so, for today, as we pray for the people and we pray um, as a people, I invite you to pray along with me, to say it along with me in Psalm 23. It's one of the most well-known psalms, and for good reason. This is a, a psalm of, con- of confidence, as we put it. So if you want to turn in your Bibles or look it up uh, on your phones or whatnot, turn to Psalm 23, or maybe even recite it from memory, and then this will be our prayer, and I serve as our prayer to God this morning. All right, let us pray. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. All right. As we continue on in our series in this Lent Uh, in the study of spiritual warfare. Our scripture for today is the second part of what we were working on last week. It comes from Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 13, going through verse 20. And so I invite you to turn along with me. Turn from, if you were in Psalm 23, now turn to Ephesians chapter 6 in the New Testament. Um, And maybe look it up on your phones or pull them out if you didn't have them out otherwise. And we get to read through this and see these words from God. All right, so I am in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 13. We read this. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Would you pray with me as we delve in and go to the Lord with these words, dear Father. Father, as we study these, as we dive into them, as we consider the magnitude of what you are saying here. We ask for your Holy Spirit 
May you be working in our minds, in our souls, in our hearts, and in our bodies. May we be affected by you. May your words go out with your action. May we be changed in return. Father, I ask this personally that as I get the privilege of preaching today, Lord, may everything that I say be to your glory, not for mine own. If there's anything that I say that needs correction, may it come and may your people know of the truth. And I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So last week we start, we did verses 10 through 13 and we went through three kind of main points. We started with God is our strength. And we explored that it is in his strength that we engage in spiritual warfare. And then we went into it's in him because of we stand in his strength. Therefore, in him, we stand against the schemes of the devil. But not only do we stand, but we stand firm. And so today we get to continue on from that. So as we are standing firm, we do so first and foremost because God has prepared us. So if you look with me in verses 13 and 14, Paul exhorts the believers to stand, therefore, with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes, which are the readiness given by the gospel of peace. But it's the little verb tenses that come almost as a filler in between there that I really want to uh, zero in on on this. And he says this verb tense or uses this verb tense three times here. Having fastened. Having put on. And again, having put on. This is an action that has already happened but has a present reality to it. These pieces of armor, this belts of truth, this breastplate of righteousness, and these shoes which are the readiness given by the gospel of grace. They're already on when we are going to engage in spiritual warfare. These aren't things when we see the attacks of the devil coming that we quickly put them on. No, they're already there. And they are foundational to every other part of the armor. The rest that's going to come, these are the foundations of everything else that is put on. Secondly, these verbs, right? Not only are, are they having that, that already happened in present reality, but they're also plural. It's maybe not apparent in the English, but in the Greek, they're in that second person plural, meaning kind of a, a y'all type of thing. This isn't something that one of us has done in solidarity. and There isn't one person that has put on the armor of God to go out and be our champion. Right? No one person is that because Jesus is our champion. But the rest of us, we fill out. We are in the army of God. And so these pieces of armor have been put on, on us, on each other, together. We have put these on. And how do we know that we've put them on? How do we know that they're already there? How do we know that, that God has, has put them on us? Well, if we believe that Jesus is Lord, if we believe that through His death and and resurrection that we have been saved, then this belt of truth, the truth that death no longer has power over us, but that we share in the eternal life of Jesus now and forever, 
That truth is ours. We possess it. And when they talk about the belt of truth or, or girding yourself up, up with truth, we can think of kind of the, the belt, the singular piece of leather that goes around your waist. But when they were talking about belt of truth, they were talking about more of an apron-like structure. It was a, a piece of leather that covered most of the torso and down through the legs and all the way around. It was what everything else sat on. It was the core foundation of all of the armor of God. That truth, that statement that Jesus is Lord, that is the truth upon which everything else rests. And next we get to the breastplate of righteousness. We are unified together with Jesus in His righteousness. That was the promise that no longer when God looks at us does He see our own sins, our own corruption, the the stains of our life, the bad things that we have done. No, He sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus. He looks at you and He sees Jesus. He sees perfection. He sees His Son. And it's because of this that we are protected from the devil's temptations. Last week, in the first part, when we talked about the devil's schemes, we talked about how he uses temptations and he uses accusations to get at us, to drive us away from God, to drive us deeper and deeper into the darkness under His control. But when we are firmly established, when we believe, when we know the reality of the righteousness that we share in Jesus, that we share Jesus' righteousness, then we can recognize when the devil's trying to downplay God, God's holiness, we can recognize that the things he is tempting us to do are ugly. They are sinful. Those thoughts, those desires, those words, those actions, they violate God's intention for creation and we refrain from them. And in the same way, when we are tempted to overlook that in other people and to, to condone evil, We resist that because the righteousness that we see, the righteousness by which we see the world is through Jesus. But then on the other side as well, when the devil comes and he tries to accuse us, and he tries to accuse the people around us, saying, you are not worthy of God. Do you know how holy he is? Do you know how terrible of a person you are? Then you can say, no, no, no. I share in Jesus' righteousness. I am not judged by the works that I have done. I am judged by what Jesus has done. I hope that hits you right here. We are not held accountable by what we have done, by the things that we did, by what what Jesus has done. Now, right, that's not to say that we go on doing whatever we want. That's the temptation part of it that, that we're... Resisting as well, but also in this accusation when the devil says, you are not good enough. You can say, I know. And that's okay. Because Jesus was and is and will forever be. And lastly, we are shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Because we know that Jesus had victory over death. Death no longer has the power to paralyze us in place. Whatever situation we may find ourselves in, whatever happens to us, we know that the end is the same. The outcome will not change. 
we will delight in the house of the Lord forever. That is our eternity. That is our promise. That is the end of whatever is about to happen. Back when I was a maintenance worker, uh, working at a church uh, down here um, near Tower Grove in St. Louis, uh, I was in a church that was several stories high, and there was an electrical uh, outlet that I needed to do some work on, and I had to go turn off uh, the power, go to find the circuit breaker to turn it off so I could work on it and not kill myself. Um, and as I went down into the basement to go look at the, the circuit breakers and saw that there were many circuit breakers, my heart was kind of sinking a little bit because I saw just how much work it was going to take to try every single circuit breaker and run upstairs to see if that one worked and then run back downstairs and try a different one until I opened up the doors and I saw that someone, had thankfully, had gone through and they had labeled every single circuit breaker with exactly which outlets and which uh, electrical circuits that they went to. So I didn't have to go through all of that work. When I came to this point, everything was already prepared. It was a simple and easy job for me. In a similar way and in such a much greater way, when we are coming up against the schemes of the devil... When we know and we see the work that we have before us, we don't come unprepared. We don't come having to go through all of the work from the very beginning to resist the devil's schemes and to stand against them. No, we come with everything having been done for us already. All we have to do is to stand in the provision of God. And so as we are encountering this discombobulation of a pandemic and the trials of sheltering in place and the ramifications that perhaps have happened in our places of employment, uh, whether that be reduced hours or, or losing our job or just the difference of working at home, God has prepared us to stand against all the ways that the devil will seek to destroy us in the midst of these situations. Because the devil sees these as opportunities. The, the changes in routine are another way, another way to get at us. Or even as we create new routines is another way to instill something that he would like us to be doing. But we are prepared because God has prepared us. Now, he hasn't prepared us in a way saying that you're going to live in luxury. He's not saying that we're not going to endure trials, that life is going to be easy for us. No, he says the opposite many times. But he says in the midst of all of this, we can stand in the confidence of what Jesus has done for us and the confidence of his righteousness that we share in him and of the certainty of our future. That whatever happens, however long our lives last, whatever life situations may bring us, the end will be the same. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, if you don't have that certainty, if you hear me saying this and preaching this in these words from the Bible and you say, I don't know if I have that. Or perhaps you're hearing this maybe for the first time and you're thinking, what in the world are we talking about here? That sounds like a foreign concept and that sounds like a certainty perhaps that you might like to have. Man, I would love to talk with you, right? And right now I don't get to do this in person. 
But through this platform that perhaps you're watching this on, there's a, a prayer request button. Or if you're watching this on YouTube or something else, you can send us an email. Christchurch at stp at gmail.com. We would love to connect with you. Our elders would love to reach out. I would love to reach out. We would love to have these conversations that in the midst of this fear, this anxiety, whatever may be going on in your lives, if you're feeling uncertain, you're feeling on unstable ground and you would like to know what these promises mean, we would love to share them with you and to listen to you and together to walk with you through the life trials that life brings. God has prepared us to stand in the face of the devil's schemes. But not only to stand, but in every circumstance. This is our second point. To stand firm. This is a repeat of a point that we had last week and we're going to say it again today because it's such a glorious thing. God has prepared us to stand firm. Look with me in verses 16 and 17 in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul writes this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God's provision doesn't merely get us onto the battlefield. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you what you need to get there, to face up against Satan, and then, all right, good luck. Do your thing. I've given you what you need. No, 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 no. In the midst, as we see the Satan attacking he gives us what we need to fight. Notice he says, in all circumstances, whether the devil's attacks seem to come out of nowhere, from out from left field or from a place in life that you never thought it would come from, or if it's something that you are knowingly walking into, saying that is a place of darkness, a stronghold of darkness in my life, in the life of someone else, and I am going to break that down. We are going to break that down. God equips us to fight that battle. He has given us the faith with which we need to nullify Satan's attacks. He has given us the salvation which we put on, which prevents that eternal stroke of death. And He's given us the Holy Spirit Himself. If nothing else, He has given us Himself, God, the most powerful being ever in existence that could ever exist, who was, who is, who will forever be, who is sovereign over everything. He is with us through the Word of God, through the Bible. And He cuts through the darkness so that it cannot prevail against the advance of God's kingdom. Back in Matthew, we talked about how the gates of hell will not prevail against God's kingdom. And we talked about how that's a defensive structure, not an offensive thing. And so just as we have that shield so often when we look at this passage in the Bible, perhaps if you've heard it preached on it, it was talked so much about a defensive stand against standing against the attacks. Well, no, it also talks about standing firm in formation, standing firm in the advance against darkness. And so let's talk about some, for the moment some of these attacks which the devil may be doing is probably doing right now in the midst of COVID-19. It's a singular experience, and with it, uh, he has a number of things in his arsenal which he repeatedly has gone to in history and which we can be prepared to stand against today. Right now, 
Right now, the opportunities for showing love and for caring for our neighbors are vast. We can see them all around us. There are so many statements of what we can be doing or praying or saying or supporting uh, as an expression of our caring and of our love. And the devil recognizes this. But rather than chance that we may actually be charitable, that we might practice humility, that we might actually be willing to self-sacrifice and for a moment share in what Jesus did on our behalf. Rather than chance that any of the fruit of the Spirit would start to take hold and grow in our lives in these ways, the devil seeks to have us practice a a humility, a charitableness, a self-sacrifice, a benevolence that, that never gets put into action. C.S. Lewis describes this in the screw tape letters um, in this way. He says, uh, in the context of World War I, you've got a, a number of people in Britain that proclaim uh, a love for the Germans that they are fighting against, that they would help them, that they would care for a wounded German should one show up on his doorstep. Yet, they are bitter and uncharitable and unloving to the person they live with. So let's apply that to today. I'm manifesting this today that we often see and we often proclaim and offers to help, to help anyone who's quarantined, to go run errands for them, to go groceries for them. Um, We voice our support for emergency workers and, and for teachers and for those who are severely affected and working on the front lines against this pandemic. And perhaps we've offered a general, if you are in need and you need financial assistance, then you can come to me, let me know. And those are good things. Don't let me... Don't hear what I'm not saying. Those are excellent things. Those are beautiful ways in which to express and show solidarity and love to the neighbors around us. But the problem is, the problem is when we proclaim our desire to practice charity and self-sacrifice to people that we might never meet, and yet we're jerks, we're unloving, we're uncharitable, We're bitter, we're ungracious, and we're unwilling to sacrifice for the people that we live with, the people that we encounter every day, spouses, children, family, parents, roommates. As the demon in the screw tape letter writes, he says this, he says, The great thing is to direct the malice to his immediate neighbors, whom he meets every day, and to thrust his benevolence out to the remote circumstances, the people he doesn't know. The malice, therefore, becomes wholly real in what he actually is practicing, and the benevolence is largely imaginary. That's really convicting for me. It's very easy to say that I would be willing to go out and and do these errands for people um, that I might never meet. And it's a whole other thing to be gracious and loving and willing to self-sacrifice for the people that I see every day. And then there's the other side of this moment where right now we clearly face how little control we have over our own lives. 
and that the reality of death is coming at any time. It's right in our faces right now, the possibility of it, not for us, for, for some of our loved ones who are close to us, and how easily our security and our ability to act as we please can be stripped away from us. How we can make plans, and they're just that. They're plans. We're not the ones who determine if they actually happen or not. And in response to life-altering, catastrophic events that show us that reality that we are not in control of our lives, we do not get to determine our future. So often the response of our nations have been to turn to God and to say, oh man, wow, I realize I'm not in control. I realize there are things far greater at work than what I can understand and comprehend. I I'm going to turn to God because you are the one thing that I've heard of that could possibly make any sense of all of this. This happened during World War I. This happened during World War II. It happened after 9-11. Directly after 9-11, there was a spike in church attendance. And it seems to be happening now. There seems to be some statistics showing a gradual increase in church attendance right now in the midst of this pandemic. And my hope... My hope for you, genuinely, genuinely, let's let's go away from that for a second. My hope is that if you are watching this today, if you've tuned into Christ's church worship service, that you get to experience what you're coming for. That you get to experience a God who can give hope. A God who comforts. A God who is patient. God who loves, who loves you more deeply than you even could possibly love yourself, who knows every hair on your head, every cell in your body, because he stitched them together and he loves you deeply. My hope is that in this time of fear and anxiety, perhaps a time of grief, maybe of lament, that those feelings which you may not be able to express to anyone else, that maybe you feel that pressure to feel strong at home, to put on a strong face for your kids or your spouse or your parents or someone else, or, or maybe you just don't have anyone you feel like you can be vulnerable with who listens and who cares, that when you come to God, you find the one who cares the most, who cares deeply, who listens to you and responds. That's my hope as you've come here. Because as you do this, and I want to make you aware that as you're doing this, as you come with that intent, and that is the best possible thing you could be doing right now. As you come, the devil, the devil does not want that to happen. He does not want you to be comforted. He does not want you to be loved. And he doesn't want to give you a space where you can grieve and lament and know and know the care and the love and the tenderness of God. And so he will seek to distract you. He will seek to take your attention away from that which you've come to focus on and to bring it somewhere else. And it might start little. It might start little. It might be perhaps it's something I'm wearing. I've got a few wrinkles in my sweater. I've got dog hair on my pants. Maybe you can see that. Maybe that's been distracting to you. Maybe perhaps it's the lighting 
or the video quality or the sound quality right now. Something about that is just a little off and it's just irking you and it's hard to get over that and, and to take your focus off of that. Or maybe it's, maybe it's something somebody said in the chat. Maybe it's somebody you know that goes to Christ church. Maybe it's you know me and you think, man, I know what that guy's done. I know what those people have done. I saw what they said in the chat. That was so unchristian. If these are the type of people that, that worship this God, if this is what being Christian and being a part of God and following Him looks like to be like those dorks or those jerks or those incredibly unloving and ungracious people that I see what they're doing throughout the day, I don't want any part of this. But no, don't let the devil do that. Don't let him get your distraction. Don't let him take your focus off of what you need. And what you're desiring and that voice and that reason that God has brought you here because he has brought you to the worship service. Focus solely on God, on your worship of him. We are all broken people. (laughs) We all are imperfect. I know I'm incredibly imperfect. Everyone here at Christ Church can tell you that they're imperfect as well. We've all made mistakes. We've all done things that don't, don't line up with the love of God. And that's why we're here too. That's why I'm preaching. When I preach this sermon, I preach to myself as much as I preach to you guys, to be completely honest. Because I need to hear it too. We need the same things that you need. And so my invitation for you is to... Block out those distractions. Say a quick prayer right now to God and say, God, let me block out those distractions and let me focus on your holiness. Let me focus on your love. Let me experience it. Satan's attacks, which we've been exploring for the past several weeks and into today, are for that express purpose of destroying the image of God through which each and every one of us were created. Trying to cut us off from relationship with each other. Right now when we're physically cut off, it may be easier to do that, to feel isolated, to feel isolated from each other, to feel isolated from God. And Satan, he wants to exacerbate that. He wants to make that worse. So you are all alone. But you are not alone. You are loved. You are part of a body of Christ who loves you, who cares for you, and who desires to know you deeply. Thankfully, thankfully in in the face of these attacks from the devil, God prepares us to stand firm. And we do that in the strength of his might. Not by our own, but by his strength. If you look with me in verse 18, in this final part where Paul is describing the whole armor of God, he finishes it by saying this, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This is the first part of the armor that our action is a part of its supply. In truth and in righteousness, in the gospel of peace and peace and faith and, and salvation and the word of God, those were all supplied by God. He gave them to us. 
And we are called to make use of them. But even our use of them is dependent upon God's strength to make them efficient, to make them efficacy. Uh, I don't know what I'm trying, the word I'm trying to say there. See, there's a distraction. Uh, to make them work. We don't, even though we put them on, even though we take them up, even though we are using them, it is through His strength that they work. And they work perfectly. Paul exhorts his believers to stand and having fastened and having put on and having put on and having taken up and extinguishing and to take and to use it all through prayer. And even this prayer, though, notice, is done in the Spirit. It's not done by our own strength. It's done in conjunction and collaboration and through the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gives efficacy. I got it right that time. Gives efficacy to our prayers. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against our neighbors. It's not against the government. It's not against health officials. Man, it's not against whoever it might be that, that seems to be that, that, that source of, of discomfort and trial and suffering in your life. No, 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 no. Our struggle is against the evil powers in the heavenly realm who seek to take whatever is happening here on earth and to cut us off at the knees so that we cannot stand firm. It's so curious that even though the devil seeks to cut us off, to cut us down, to make us fall, that the very act of standing firm that Paul talks about here, the very thing that he says causes us to stand firm, the very embodiment of what it means to put on the whole armor of God, to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, to take the attack to him and to break down the strongholds of the darkness is not in standing and falling down on our knees. Bowing our knees in prayer. That's what it means to stand firm. Paul wrote a prayer earlier in Ephesians. It's in chapter 3. It starts in verse 14. This is what I want to close with today. This is my prayer for each and every one of you. As you have to continue on day by day. As we work through together through this extraordinary circumstance. And as the attacks of the devil come against you. This prayer go forth. And may the Holy Spirit work it in your hearts and in your minds and in your souls. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with the power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. And now as a celebration, as a testament of the work that Jesus Christ has done, has done, it is completed, has prepared us, has equipped us with, and that can never be taken away with us. We get to celebrate at the table. We get to take the tangible elements of the bread and of the wine. We get to eat and to drink. And just as the food and the drink nourish our bodies, so does Jesus Christ nourish our souls, and us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may this time, and I invite you to join us in communion, to to take bread and to take juice or wine in your own home and to partake with us. May this time serve to strengthen you. So that as though we are separated by physical distance, know that we are all together through the power of the Holy Spirit, united at the table of Christ Jesus. Jesus.